I'm Matthew. I'm Brian. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers. And we will go into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. This week, comic fans descend on the Big Apple, sorority girls gone wild, and today only, four nerds for the price of three. <laughs> hey! All right, big Nerd. stories coming out. Uh, we're all four together. We'll be this way for quite some time, we hope, until Brian has to run off and take care of a new kid, which we're trying to have a push to call him Chase. Everybody Chase who's Manhattan. listening to the podcast, yes, Chase Manhattan. That would be an awesome name, Brian. It w- but there it, are some you other... Know, really? It, it's growing on me, but that, that doesn't matter. I have no <laughs> say in this. <laughs> None whatsoever. <laughs> So why don't we get into the show and, and some of our top stories. Uh, the biggest thing this past weekend, of course, was the New York Comic Con held up at the uh, Jacob Javits Center in New York City. Um, a lot of little stories that, that came out. I, I posted ooh, about five or six of them up on, up on the website. Comments, reactions. Matthew, where do you want to start? I think the place that I want to start is with Marvel. Or excuse me, not Marvel. I'm looking DC's uh, wrap-up panel and all of the stuff that they're planning to do in the next year or so. Okay. And of course, for me, the big, big, the big reveal is Legion of Three Worlds. Yeah. It's all tying into the final crisis. I'm very much looking forward to seeing if they're going to do what I expect that they're going to forward with this. Oh, you're breaking up a little bit, Matthew. What do you think? What do you think they're going to do with this? Well. With any luck, what I really hope, and this is my nerd face coming through. Nerd! I, do you I have any other face? Gonna... No. Hey, I'm still in the room. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that we get the explanation of where the three legions are. Because Supergirl went forward to the current WKRP legion. Right. Superman went forward and interacted with the pre-crisis legion. Superman and Supergirl are on the same Earth, so obviously they can't be going forward to the same future ah if that makes sense that does make sense well if we're talking final crisis though there's a lot of final crisis tie-ins now most people thought that oh this will be another year-long event that uh uh, dc will be kicking out but you know final crisis is only like eight issues i think in the series but there are tons of tie-in issues that i think are going to carry us throughout the rest of the year we've got of course as matthew mentioned legion of three worlds Final Crisis Revelations, Final Crisis Submit, Final Crisis Rage of the Red Lanterns, Final Crisis Ro- Rogue's Revenge, and Final Crisis Superman Beyond. And finally, oh, wait, two more, Final Crisis Resist and Final Chris- Crisis Requiem 4 dot 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 with that name being kept secret for now, which I think we all know if you've been onto the site or if you've been into the major spoilers forum, I think it's pretty much end of issue one, we're going to see the death of Martian Manhunter. Yeah, he Don't- has it coming. <laughs> hey, 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 you cannot mock, John. 19, Why not? 1954, the Silver Age, children uphill both ways. John Jones was really, to me, the character that, that brought me over to D.C., but historically speaking, he's also the character that kind of helped to kick off the Silver Age, even before they revamped the Flash and revamped mm-hmm. Green Lantern. You had the Martian Manhunter doing backups in Detective Comics, so if they kill him, they better do it right. Now, is, well, this in, is this instead of killing Batman, which is what you thought, Stephen? Yeah, that's apparently what it's going to be, because obviously, this being a movie year, 
DC and Warner Brothers are not going to allow Batman to be killed off when potentially hundreds of millions of people are going to be flocking to the local comic book store looking to buy Batman comics only to discover what? Bruce Wayne and Batman aren't the same? So this um, Grant Morrison Batman Rest in Peace line or R.I.P. Uh, line is going to take a little bit different turn and I wouldn't be surprised if we see the return of Hugo Strange in that series. Hugo Strange? Why would we, why would we see Hugo? That's what I'm wondering. Well, uh, the idea is we're going to see a breakdown and a rebuilding of Batman in some different way, and Hugo Strange being, you know, this psychologist the guy. Evil psychologist. Who, yeah, I, I think he might be involved in it some way, and we haven't seen him for a long time. I don't know. Did he die during uh, Identity Crisis? Was he one that was killed? I just haven't seen him for about a year. I can't remember whether Hugo died or not, which I think they're going to take away my nerd badge, but it's, that's interesting. I mean, looking at things like... Um, I'm looking at the Final Crisis Rogue's Revenge and the Final Crisis uh, uh, Rage of the Red Lanterns. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if uh, I, I'm wondering how much of this is actually planned out, whether they've been doing what Marvel has been doing for the last two or three years and working towards the same big giant beats as a company to try and well, tie this all together. I think that's what they're doing because my understanding is if I read all the different announcements that came out, once Final Crisis ends, that's supposed to lead us right into um, the uh, Darkest Night series over on Green Lantern. So they've got to have things at least planned out through 2009. Marvel says that they've got everything planned out, their big story arcs, through 2010. Interesting. That, I, I know one of the other things that was mentioned that intrigues me is the possibility of, of Dan Jurgens possibly taking over the writing reins of Booster Gold, if I understood that correctly. Yeah, that was kind of a under-the-breath comment that someone made during one of the DC panels. And I think it was made kind of in conjunction with, uh, did Skeets really kill Wave Rider in 52, and are we going to see you know um, uh, him return? And God I think it was us. Dan DiDio or somebody mentioned, oh, you probably will see him again, especially if we get Dan Jurgens to write uh, Booster Gold. But, you know, I like really, I do like Jeff Johns on, on Booster Gold. Isn't that who's writing it? Yeah, Jeff's writing Booster, and yeah. Jeff, uh, he's, I think he's writing like a quarter of the DC Universe right now, honestly. Well, Jurgens is, is currently on Booster Gold right now as, let's see, pencil art by Dan Jurgens. Right. So. Dan's one of those guys who I like him as a penciler, I like him as a writer, I don't like him as a writer-artist. Hmm. Because when mm. he writes things for other people, I really enjoy it. And when he draws, uh, when he did the run on Nightwing, the first couple, three issues of that were just stunning to me. And then it kind of settled back into uh, kind of Dan Jurgen's shorthand, what I think. And I go, I've seen that pose in Superman. I've seen that pose in Booster Gold. But Jurgen's working on his own scripts, writing and drawing for himself. I'm always thinking back to Zero Hour in 1994, which to me is like the nadir of comics in the 90s, and that's kind of saying you know, something. I, I like Zero Hour. I know that it had the whole, oh, somebody let the word leak, and now we're going to change the whole ending, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I really kind of like that idea of Wave Rider coming from the future to find that person that turns into Monarch. I, I like that idea. And that was a fun story. I mean, I think that was probably my first big company-wide event that I got into when I was really reading comics. Right. I, one of the things that always that always comes back to me is there was a moment in Zero Hour where it, and it seemed like it was, here's the editor, he's going to tell you what's going to happen, where Green Lantern and The Flash, Alan and Jay, the original Green Lantern and the original Flash, 
in the middle of this huge fight for the lives of everyone in the universe just went, you know what? We're old. We're going home. Yeah, well, that's true, too. It just That moment right there just struck me as, we're now going to show you all the new things we're going to do, but while we do that, first we have to punk out every one of our characters who's not new and different. So, granted, they came back from it, and they did wonderful things coming out of it, but the moments you know, in that story just left me really cold. Sidetrack. big a couple other big things that I that I like coming out of the uh, DC panel is we did talk last week about Catwoman being canceled. Uh, DC did say yes that the series is being canceled. Heck, it's in the next previews that comes out this week or next week. Uh, but we're going to see plenty of Catwoman across the DC universe and especially in the Bat titles. Nightwing is going to play a big role in this Batman R.I.P. I mean, there was big. Uh, word going around the water cooler during uh, Nightfall when Batman broke his back that Dick Grayson was going to ste- step into the into the Batman role and that and he kind of did for a little bit yeah until he kind of got fed up with it I yeah. mean so we've certainly got that going and speaking of um, oh we may not see Ted Cord as I mentioned. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we may not see him stick around as Blue Beetle, but the one thing that I did like was that Mattel announced that uh, there's enough fan reaction that we just might see a JLU Booster Gold action figure coming out. Yeah, Ooh, that'd between, be great. Between some time, they didn't say. Now, Mattel has the uh, license for the action figures until 2012, so sometime between now and the next four years, we might get to see a, a Blue Beetle figure, which I'm excited about. Well, and I think one of the best episodes of the JLU was that very Booster Gold-centric... Um, uh, yeah, the the greatest story never told yeah, or something that like that. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, also, let's see... We might see, for those of you that are collecting the big uh, hero action figure line that they have going on now, I think the only the first wave has been anou- uh, released, the one with Batman and Penguin and, um, and uh, Metamorpho, and I forget who else is in that line. Uh, but it's one of those Build-A-Figure collections. Mattel's also probably going to do something possibly with the Anti-Monitor as the Build-A-Figure uh, character, which I'm excited about. But, Brian, I've got a task for you. Uh-oh. A lot of these Mattel deals now are... are are only going to be Target-only exclusive. So I'm going to maybe have to have you run to Target every week for me and, <laughs> and pick up a, a stack of uh, action yeah, figures. What, I mean, what is that? Is it it's just that they want to be able to sell them at a different price than Walmart wants them? Well, it's just that Walmart sucks and they're <laughs> evil, evil people. So I, I don't know the reasoning behind that. I think that there's probably something with pricing issues that that uh, Mattel and, and Walmart can't reach an agreement for. Uh, the other big news, and we'll close with this from DC, is that Mark Wade, uh, his run on Brave and the Bold ends with issue number 16, but the big thing for DC that they announced is that Mark Wade is going to be stepping on board uh, the Amazing Spider-Man writing team. That'll be good. Although, you know, I, I wonder if that's like a... Uh like a compensatory reaction is like okay well everybody's pretty upset about what's going on with spider-man let's let's get you know let's find the greatest writer we can find who's available right now and see if just tacking him onto it is going to get people back onto the title you probably wouldn't be too wrong because if you remember the flash when that story was going to hell mm-hmm. and they were trying to figure out a way to salvage it who did they bring on board for six issues Dun, Mark Wade. Yeah. yeah the thing well, about he's a star He is. He's a big, bright, shining star, and I'm hoping we can have him on our little podcast in the near future. The thing about Wade on Spider-Man that really makes me look forward to it, and I don't even read Spider-Man, Mark Wade has shown a real ear for humor and the the kind of, you know, the -the off-the-cuff 
character that you expect Spider-Man to be. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not saying that the current writers aren't. I've I've read every issue thus far, but it just kind of feels like I, I feel like if you get weighed in there, you might have something that feels a little fresh and a little new, and it might take people away from whatever resentment they may feel about the dissolution of the marriage and the resurrection of Aunt May. Now, has Mark Wade ever written Spider-Man before? I think he did. Um, okay. I, I know when he worked for Marvel, he was writing X Force Factor Force. He was an he was an X Men writer briefly. The X Factor Force Men. The X Factor Force Men. Generation. Caliber. (laughs) Yes, he he wrote that one. It had that that great scene where Colossarine and uh, Wolver Lossus and and the other guy, they all went in and they fought Mr. Sinister, because it's funnier when it rhymes. And uh, then at the end, uh, no one's life was ever the same again. But... Well, you know, speaking of the the brand new day, one more day debacle, uh, Joe Casada is still defending one more day and is telling everyone, you haven't seen the big payoff yet. You got to keep reading because there's going to be this big payoff that we're building to now. Unfortunately, that I totally came up with yesterday. I, I'm I'm not sure it's Bendis quality. We've been planning this for a long time, like Secret Invasion, where he's been doing this mm-hmm. for several years, just doing it without any. Uh, go ahead and then finally saying hey look i've been planting these seeds all along why don't we do this i don't know if if uh if that's what's happening with amazing spider-man or not but if he does if he's able to salvage this and get people to come back running and screaming to amazing spider-man uh then people might consider him a genius but right now i think a lot of people are pretty upset with him yeah Yeah, i would agree the thing is though wasn't this wasn't this done to bring uh new people in Probably. I mean, certainly if you look at the movie, and I think we talked about this before, in Spider-Man 3, Peter Parker's still single. He hasn't married Mary Jane. He's, mm-hmm. uh, In fact, they broke up, and he's got Gwen Stacy as a potential love interest. And now uh, you go and read the comic book, and here's a married Peter Parker with Mary Jane, and yeah. she's a supermodel. He, What's too, going on? Well, he's too old. He's got too many responsibilities to touch, you know, to be in touch with the younger reader. I mean, you know, I, I think the best, you know, when I was reading Spider-Man, you know, he was a college student, uh, single, had all those problems, and I think he's more identifiable. I mean, I know people hate what they did. If you were reading it, you were invested in it. But to me, I think it seems like a smart reset of the character to get it back to, you know, the kind of formula where it works the best. You almost sound like you could be Stan Lee who, himself who interrupted one of, I think it was the Mighty Marvel panel uh, there at New York, just walked in and said, who's responsible for making uh, Peter Parker single again and, and singled out Joe Quesada and, and I guess went on for a couple of minutes. Of course, I wasn't there, unfortunately. I would have liked to have been. But apparently he went on for a couple of minutes saying how, you know, he read this and he agrees with the philosophy of why Joe Quesada is making uh, Peter Parker single again. So, now, And with that, he walked off the stage. So. Now, did you see them slip him a giant wad of cash afterwards? <laughs> well, there's certainly a lot of other companies that are slipping uh, Stanley a lot of cash uh, for different things, and you can read about that over at the Major Spoilers website. Stanley will kind of do anything for a dollar nowadays. It's, it's actually kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> there goes any chance of having Stanley on the show, ladies and Stan gentlemen. Stanley, you need to pick it up, man. You need to you need to straighten up. Robot Chicken was funny, but you need to draw the line there. The opinions expressed by Rodrigo are not necessarily those of the major spoilers staff. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Uh, let's see what else came out of the Marvel panel that was kind of uh, interesting. M- Marvel apes. <laughs> 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 you know. 
I don't know what people have with, with apes in <clears throat> comics, but there's certainly a large group of people that really love seeing monkeys in comic books. And so Marvel is going Marvel ape, and they're having a whole line where all their heroes are apes. I figure the only way this can be any good, if it's just going to be this enormous joke where every panel is some like monkey-related joke just constantly and it's done completely for humor a- anything else other than that and you know the the fantastic four i think in the ultimate universe ended up meeting the uh zombie fantastic right, four right, you know the right. frightful that's how four. The, that's how the the marvel zombies got kicked off yeah. right so you know if if i see spider ape team up with spider-man i'm gonna be pretty upset the Amazing Spider Monkey is a pretty cool name, though, when you think about oh, it. Oh, that yeah, would work. True. That would totally work. <laughs> See? Well, the only thing I have to say is DC already did the uh, the whole ape thing a few years ago where Gorilla Grodd turned everybody into yeah. apes. That was their big summer crossover the, a few years JL ago. The JL Ape crossover. Yes. And it, yeah, I don't think it did so well then. But uh, I guess they're going to take a gamble with Marvel Apes and move on with that. So there's a lot of big stories that came out of... Uh, the New York Comic Con, you can read about all of those over at Majorspoilers.com. And we've also got some other stories up there, too, this past week. I mean, there were some other things going on. This weekend, we're going to see the debut of the Green Goblin on the Spectacular Spider-Man on the CW and the Kids WB. Wait, is, is he actually going to be green? Well, you look at the pictures up yeah, there on the site. He's purple. actually kind of a greenish color with a purple tunic. and Sort of a chartreuse. Big, yeah, this big, well, fine, Matthew. <laughs> if you're going to be that way about it, chartreuse. He's got this big pumpkin right on his uh, crotchety thing. I think I think it is supposed to be a belt. Like he he just has a big uh, he's got a big pumpkin belt. skull belt buckle. But <laughs> since he's squatting he's all the, the time, it kind of writes down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween Town's number one slugger, <laughs> the Green Goblin. <laughs> Rodrigo, you don't care for the look of the Green Goblin. I really don't. Um. It's. I, I think there's a good idea there somewhere, but I think there's always been this problem with the Green Goblin in that originally he wore a mask. If you look at all the iterations of the Green Goblin, there's that horrendously frightening original Green Goblin, which is very creepy. Right. Um, the Spider-Man movie Green Goblin, which basically has a helmet and does not allow Willem Dafoe to emote. Well, um, no, no, that, that was that was Power Rangers, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, then there was... Um, like the ultimate Green Goblin, where they went, well, it's kind of weird for him to be wearing a mask, so let's just make him a monster. Right. Which never really worked for me. And I think, you know, Green Goblin is this character where there's the original Green Goblin, and every other iteration of him kind of doesn't work, but they need to change him up because everything else is getting changed up at some point. Brian, Matthew, thoughts? I'm bothered by how happy he looks. <laughs> he, I mean, he's got the, the 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 green goblin that I'm seeing, and it may just be the images that we have. He looks like he's got this great big smile on his face, like he wants to know if I want fries with that. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, we need some we need some creepy kind of evil. We need something that just says I'm Norman Osborn, and I, you know, just shot a baby out of a cannon or something. I don't know. Into another baby. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there was an image uh, that I released uh, today, Tuesday, the day that we're recording this, that shows him shooting like flame or something out of his fingertips, some kind of a green shooting out of his fingers. He didn't have those powers. He just has his no. pumpkin bombs, right? No, no he, he had, had he like had lasers in his fingers. Yeah, he had, yeah. He had electrical gauntlets. Yeah, yep. that's the one. Okay, so maybe that's what he has here. But okay, so beyond this, um, 
pumpkin crotch thing that he's got going on. What about the pointy ears and the pointy chin and all that? I mean, is he compensating well, that, for isn't something? That, isn't that doesn't that illustrate what they're doing with that style? I mean, it's the same thing as the Batman Strikes. Everything is very elongated and pointed and pronounced, and yeah, not my I, style. I think I think it is. Um, they're doing that. If, if you'll, you know, because we watched the, uh, like, I think the first episode right, that had Vulture two. in it. Mm-hmm. Vulture had slitty eyes, like he had cat eyes, even right. though there's like nothing that's actually physically different about him. He just wears that suit. So you know, it's one. It's a study in physiognomy. You know, bad people have pointy chins. There well, I go. think there's also you can see the influence of the anime style on. Most, if not all, of the kids' cartoons right now, especially mm-hmm. here. If you look at Spider-Man, I won't say that it's, you know, the anime, the big eyes, small mouth, necessarily. But there's definitely an influence, I think. Especially if you look at the hair that the characters have. The big shock mm-hmm. hair that seem like they're, you know, carved out of rubber and glued to their face. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Well, is it also, is it easier? I mean, they're, they're cleaner lines. Is it easier to actually animate that way and get the things done? Could be. You know, so much of this 2D-looking artwork is all 3D these days, so it wouldn't surprise me if this is 3D stuff that's just given the tune effect to it. Yeah, I, I think it is purely a stylistic thing. I don't think I don't think it's because it's easier. Because clearly, I mean, if, you go, they, if it was easier, that's what the old Spider-Man and his amazing friends would look like. It, it would have yeah. it, it looked like that, and yet they went through. And, I, I would watch that. I would watch that over this. Really? Because well, because well, I, mean, I would watch that over this because that's freaking hilarious. <laughs> Anytime when furniture turns around, it's great. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm but all over that. To this day, Video Man is one of my favorite characters of all time. <laughs> oh, my He's goodness. an eight-bit what? pixelated two-dimensional character. How is that not awesome? What's the Dracula episode, man? The Dracula episode I'm all about. Or the I'm one where they have the Australian five. Wolverine for no reason. Oh, hello, my name's Wolverine. Hello. <laughs> all right a couple things that i want to plug before we get into the rest of the show uh don't forget nerdtacular 2 is taking place uh in utah this summer july 19th it's the big dark night event that we're helping to co-sponsor or we're one of the sponsors for this with uh, myextralife.com. don't forget they've got the information page up now you can go over to nerdtacular.com and read all about it and the other thing that i really want to thank all of you, the listeners, listening to this podcast at home or in the car or on the way to work or school or sitting in the library or at the comic shop playing it back for everyone to hear, I want to thank you for downloading and subscribing to this show because without your support, we would not be able to support the Hero Initiative with our Major Spoilers Hero Drive. To date, and this is as of our recording, we have raised close to, not quite, but we are so close, I bet you tomorrow we will be at that magic number. We will have raised $250 for the organization. We're almost halfway there. We need to raise $250 more. That means we need 500, well, yeah, 500 more subscribers before the end of the month. There's two weeks left, plenty of time to tell all your friends on the way to school, in the carpool that you're riding with, at your local comic shop, at your class, or whatever. Tell them about the Major Spoilers podcast. Get them to come, download an episode, subscribe to the episode, whatever works. And based on the number of people subscribing to the show, that's how much money we're going to give to the Hero Initiative, which goes out and supports uh, artists in need so that they can have a golden age. So only two weeks left. Please spread the word. We're really excited about it. I know the Hero Initiative is excited about it. Uh, This is for a really good cause. All right. Let's swing over to the review section of the show. And Rodrigo is up first with... 
Uh, Cthulhu Tales, and I don't know what is what are Cthulhu Tales, Rodrigo. Um, Cthulhu Tales is when a uh, rich uncle Scrooge met Cthulhu and all his <laughs> nephews uh, fly around <laughs> and get into adventures. Julie like Dooley like a hurricane mm. here in here in Miskatonic Cthulhu University Town. or something. <laughs> Matthew, I mean Brian, come on, you know you've read some H.P. Lovecraft, right? I mean, classic stuff. Is that's now that, that's that old like seventies. Saturday morning cartoon has got the guy's got like the pumpkin head, the real HP <laughs> Lovecraft. Where you go when things get daft? Hey, yeah, hey. not HR puffin stuff. HP no, no, Lovecraft, <laughs> the master, the master of I would say you know real horror stories, and really the one that kicks off this whole idea yeah. of of the gods from beyond, these old gods and and well, the Necronomicon, and and really kind of the basis for Hellboy. No, that, yeah. that show. That show on Saturday morning was scary. What are you talking about? <laughs> the talking flute, witchy poo. <laughs> that was. I still that have was nightmares about it. I got that for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, Enough with the funny. Yeah. Um, Cthulhu tales. Wait, when does the funny start? <laughs> that's what. Uh, I, that's uh, what I was we're pretty. We're pretty bad at it, actually. Um, <laughs> Edit. <laughs> Cthulhu tales. Um, take two. Um. Yeah, this this book essentially takes um it's it's uh, three different stories um sort of set in the Cthulhu mythos um that again HP Lovecraft and a handful of other writers sort of uh, built up. Um the book's real fun. It's kind of conjures up that old like Tales from the Crypt um horror comic stuff. You know, you have this narrator that's sort of walking you through it. It's all real creepy um weird happenstance that eventually um comes up to this sort of supernatural plot to do evil. Um, the book's real great. The art's... I'm not too crazy about the art, but it's good enough. It's by a guy, uh, or girl, I don't know, calling himself Chi. And, I, and I've and i seen Chi's art around. I'm not too crazy about it, but it's good. And it, and it fits this, which I think is important. Um, it is three tales. The first one is probably half the book. The second two kind of share the, the, the second half. Um, the first one is real fun uh interesting it's about this priest and it has this panel that's sort of straight out of um cycle of the werewolf Mm. or um silver bullet if you've if you've read it or if you've seen it um and we'll call that an homage because i don't it it didn't feel like they were ripping it off but it's like just straight out of there um and then the other two because they get so little time they just kind of happen way too quickly it's kind of like a commercial for you know why you should be scared of Cthulhu. So that kind of loses a little bit of the bang. I think I would like to see a full um, issue story and just a different story every issue rather than three stories packed into a single issue. Mm -hmm. Unless what they're planning to do with this is to follow those three stories in the same book throughout. So I don't know. I don't know if if that's what they're going to do. Right now, I'll, I'll definitely give it Probably three and a half stars. I'm 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 real interested in uh, where they take this book. Cool. And this is from Boom Studios. They've got a couple other Cthulhu tales. They've got the Fall of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. and they've got I think one more tale. And of course, Mark Wade will bring him up again. Uh, it will be writing one of the Cthulhu tales up uh, uh, in the near future. And I'm a big fan of Cthulhu. Um, when when's the time period that this takes place in? Present, future, past? Um, actually, the the first story I think, and I forget exactly because uh, it because it mentions it, and it takes place I think in the nineteen hundreds. Mm, okay. Um, 
so it's it's real early on and you kind of can't tell because the main character is this priest and priest mm-hmm. you know it's kind of this catholic priest looking right, right. guy and you know their dress hasn't changed but then when you start seeing other people you're like oh okay this this is a period thing and then the other two stories are totally modern in fact the final story takes place at a baseball game oh cool yeah cthulhu shows up to uh sell popcorn or something or? pretty actually yeah kind of <laughs> um you know uh, They've been talking about trying to take some of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, tales and turning them into movies. And and I know uh, Guillermo del Toro is currently in the process of uh, taking uh, Mountain of Madness or At the Mountain Mm -hmm. of Madness and turning that into a film. But a lot of people have tried to attempt or thought about attempting uh, to tell the Cthulhu tale. Right. And uh, there's only one that I really get a kick out of. You guys can find it. It was an independent production that was done. And they did it just a few years ago. It's available on DVD. And I... I think you just have to look for it. I think it's called Rise of Cthulhu or something like that. And they did it um, as if that movie were shot in the time period that H.P. Lovecraft wrote the original story. So it takes place in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. It's done as a silent film. It's done really ultra-low cheap. Uh, but the ending where Cthulhu comes out is this stop-motion monster that they built. And it just looks so incredibly cool. Nice. Uh, it's a really cool DVD. I might have to pass it around to you guys to check out. But... Cthulhu Tales number one from Boom Studios, three and a half stars from Rodrigo. Yep. Matthew, you are up next, and uh, seems like one of the big things going on with comic book companies now is snatching up as many television and movie properties as they can, and you've got Serenity. Serenity. Uh, actually, number two of uh, the second Serenity miniseries, Serenity Better Days. Uh, the thing that I really liked, and it, it was set up in issue one, where... If you've ever seen Serenity, and if you've ever seen the movie Firefly, I don't necessarily want to spoiler it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Sure. This is the Major Spoilers podcast. It's Major Spoilers. Um, The one thing that you find is that things never go right for the crew of Serenity. And issue one sets up where they go, and once again, they get involved in some bizarre scam to make money, but this time, it works. And they walk out of issue one where everyone on the ship finally is rich. They've come back with the big score that they've always wanted. And issue two starts off, it's actually pretty hilarious. They start off with each character explaining what they want to do, talking about what they're going to do with their cut of the money. But instead of having them say it as they would have shown on, you know, on television or going through, they actually have it as the little flashback. So we start with Jane, the mercenary in command of his own huge fleet and taking over the universe, basically. (laughs) And then, of course, we see Wash, the pilot, and his he just wants to have a life on a luxury cruiser with his wife and have kids. But the best part is when you get to Shepard Book, who is essentially, you know, a priest, a traveling priest, who goes around and spreads the gospel. And they they have the moment where he talks about what he's going to do with the money. You see him sitting in a darkened room in a brothel, surrounded by guns and drugs and loose women. And you cut to this shot of all the characters just staring at him in absolute disbelief. And he's like, no, nah, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's the point that really sells it. The, to me, when you're looking at a licensed book where the characters are actors, that main question, even though you don't want it to be, is do they look like the actors? Yeah. It's the main reason why, even though I love the X-Files comic book back in the 90s, could not read it for more than two issues at a time, because no one can draw Gillian Anderson. Oh, that's true. But throughout this issue, the the art, and I believe the artist's name is Brett Matthews. He did the previous series as well. The art reminds me a lot of Brian Hitch's work on The Ultimates. 
Mm-hmm. So throughout the issue, I get this feel, you know, where he understands the comic idiom. He understands how to how to block out a good comic story, but he also manages to make the characters look like the actors who portray the characters. So to is me, this, is this kind of like how Buffy has turned out, where they are semi look like the characters, but not quite? Exactly. They manage to do it without making it break down to photo reference. That it, I actually feel like this is a little more successful than Buffy in that. Really? As, as much as I love the man who drive who draws Buffy, and I, I'm not even going to try to butcher his name because it's French, so I'm just going to call him Frenchy McFrench. I believe it's something. I, There's another sh- person we're never going to have on a major <laughs> spoilers podcast. Yes. Wait till I get. If you're listening, Wait. sir, I apologize. I'm from Kansas. Yeah. I have no cooth. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, uh, he manages to capture, and there are nine characters, recurring main characters in the crew. And he manages to capture all of them with, I want to say, almost complete success. There are a couple where you look at it and you squint and go, oh, that's who it's supposed to be. But the art is very good all the way through. The story is gripping in that it goes back and forth from, um, there are a couple of people trying to track them down. Obviously, the man who they stole the money from wants to track them down. But there's also someone who seems to be tracking Mal, the captain, for suspected terrorist activities. So there's there's a plot going on, but it also brings the funny with the flashbacks. And written by Joss Whedon, you know that the dialogue is going to be, you know, that that terse kind of Joss Whedon stuff where you'll have two people talk fast for 10 seconds and somebody will just throw out a punchline that's really awesome. Now let I me mean, ask you this, Matthew. Yes, you sir. think you said that you thought that uh, Serenity was better than Buffy. I feel that Serenity's art is more successful than Buffy's in capturing <laughs> the characters. Okay, now Josh, Josh Whedon wrote the first arc of Buffy Season 8, and Correct. was also writing this Serenity. Mm-hmm. Which one do you think is going to sell better? I mean, are, I mean, people flocked. I mean, literally flocked. I, I'm sure you had them come in a V formation into the comic book shop <laughs> yeah. to pick up uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer when it came out. Are you seeing that same kind of trend with uh, Serenity? I'm actually finding many of the same people asking for Serenity, the, what, who we call our Buffy people. And in a comic shop, there tends to be a lot of guys who are basically us. You get a lot of men in their 35, you know, 35 to 40, people who grew up with comics and have a lot of disposable income. But the, the Buffy readership is much broader than that. And we're getting people that we don't usually see in comic shops. And I think they're called women, actually. <laughs> but a lot of the people who are reading Buffy are also reading Serenity and are also reading Angel After the Fall. And it's bringing in a new crowd of people. And it, to me, it's at the very least, it's successful in bringing people into the comic shops and bringing out the awareness of what's there. I don't know if it's going to be long-term you know, people sticking around, or if it's just Wild Joss is writing, you know, X book. Right. But I feel like Buffy, to me, is an almost unmitigated success. Serenity, this story so far has been interesting. It's a lot more difficult to get into the story of Serenity and to, to understand where it is, so I think a lot of the people who are reading it and putting it on their pull list already love the characters. I see. But where does this fall? Where does this fall in in between Serenity the series and Firefly the movie? Does it take place after, before? It takes I mean, after the first, after the last episode of the series, before the movie, for obvious okay. reasons. Okay. Some of the characters in the movie didn't make it out of the end of the movie. Stop listening now if you do not wish to be spoiled. And those two characters, Book and uh, Watch, are both in this story. It takes place before the movie. 
Okay. But overall, I'm giving this issue three out of five stars. It's well above average. It's kind of that middle piece of the story that if you've ever read my reviews, you know it kind of infuriates me. I hate getting to that point where, dun-dun-dun, you know, here's the, the big cliffhanger. And who, who put this out? Dark Horse? Is that this who? It's a Dark Horse title. Um, okay. Let me check. Yes, Dark Horse. Sorry. Excellent. I All actually right. went and checked. So three out of five stars for Better Days, number two, and I'm really looking forward to number three. Well, why don't we skip over to Brian? Brian, what have your, you've got on the plate for us this week? Well, I got a chance to look at a book, and I'm not clear on what's going on with the book. I believe that Incredible Hulk is starting to become the Incredible Hercules. Is that yeah? That's been happening for yeah several issues now. Okay. Once they once they ejected him in the space and they had the whole World War Hulk thing, then Hercules came in and they made that transition. Okay. Well, for better or worse, I mean the title's still selling fairly well. Yeah. Well, this is actually a good book. Um, I believe that it was marked or said that it was kind of a standalone issue. Okay. Um, and I would and I would agree with that. What it is is I've got a little bit of background of what happened in World War Hulk by going to Majorspoilers.com and reading oh, reviews really? yeah. and. Reading. Yeah, that sounds like a great site to check out. Yeah, yeah. what's that site? Major, major, major spoilers dot com. All right. Yeah, it's all one word. Yeah, but uh, so what? What's nice about this book? I've got a little bit of background of what happened. Not a lot. This book is very well written because it doesn't. You don't have to have a history with Hulk or with World War Hulk to get into the story. The characters very well explain what has happened. Not all of it. They don't go into it completely in detail, but you get enough of it to bring you forward to what's going on now. And what we have, it, it starts out really interesting. There's Hulk smashing Hercules in New York, and then the next shot reveals that it's actually Hercules playing a video game, and Hulk has destroyed him. And he's there with uh, Amadeus Cho, who is the what, the most brilliant child on earth, or or something like right, that. Right, right. And uh, More, these, smarter than Franklin Richards, no way. Yeah. Well, these are two characters that were trying to help the Hulk in World War Hulk. And what we get is kind of a backstory of the Hulk and Hercules meeting. Uh, Athena, <laughs> Hercules's sister, is with them, and she reveals that they're about a couple hundred miles away from where Hulk is being held, and she asks Cho why he isn't rushing off to help the Hulk like he did before. And he mentions that he thinks that maybe he had picked the wrong hero, that, that maybe it's Hercules is the one that can help people, the, the person with all the strength that will help change the world. And this launches her into a story of Hercules, and it's kind of a way for her to illustrate what happens. It does go into a little bit of mythology about um, the the gods being born and uh, Gaia, the mother of all these different sets of gods, and how her children would go into battle against each other to defeat each other and such. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it kind of, it, and again, well-written, brings it forward to saying that uh, man was the latest of her children to be born, and then um, then there was the giant of men who was the Hulk. So uh, it, it kind of is a nice piece like that. Like I said, I've, I've kind of been in and out of the Hulk mythology for, for a few years, but it, it talks about, uh, it tells the backstory of Doctor Strange sending him to I'm not sure exactly what it is, a crossroads, uh, and him searching for a world that uh, he can make his own that he'd be happy at. And eventually he makes his way to Olympus. 
is one of the places that he comes out. And so he starts uh, tearing, tearing up the place like the Hulk does. We jump to the story to Hercules, who's in New York at a charity event wrestling all the superheroes, and he takes down Ben Grimm, and then he's called back to Olympus because the Hulk is there, and they need him to come to defend it. Uh, Hulk suddenly makes friends with some of the giants of Olympus who uh, have been injured by Zeus and the other gods in battle, and they befriend him, and of course he uh, enjoys their company. That leads to a couple shots of the Hulk being very happy about things, which kind of looks a lot like the very cartoonish version of the Hulk. Uh, the I don't know what the series is called, but they've got those those Playmate toys or something like that, where oh, yeah, yeah, the characters yeah, yeah. are very big-headed and like yeah. happy, goofy-looking. So occasionally, the shots of the Hulk uh, in the art aren't aren't my favorite, but the rest of the art is really good. And and eventually, what happens is. Uh, Hercules comes back, and him and Hulk battle it out. Um, it's an interesting story, and uh, in the end, the Hulk helps Hercules, and uh, and in the end, Hercules kills the Hulk's friends, to which uh, the Hulk is dismayed and doesn't understand, and uh, eventually he goes back to the crossroads to find another world where he can live in. Hercules wants to be his friend, but the Hulk just turns on him and walks back into the nether region or, or whatever that story was, uh, where he's just traveling in, in a void trying to find another world. And so we jump back into the story, and so uh, Athena says that basically she just wanted Cho to know this because she wanted to make sure he understood that sometimes heroes have to do those things, that Hercules had to kill his father's enemies, and that sometimes they make... Uh, choices like that, that that we can't understand. It's it's a nice story, like I said. You don't have to know all the backstory. It tells a backstory. If I, I think this would be a good book if you picked it up to get you into the the story of Hercules. Um, it's a nice little starter. So I enjoyed it. And then actually the book itself is 64 pages. Uh, behind the main story is a preview of, uh, let's see, Hercules, I think the next issue of Hercules, and after that is a reprinting of Tales That Astonish, or something like that. Um, it's, yeah, Tales to Astonish, Submariner, and the Incredible Hulk, and it's a reprinting of a Hulk versus Hercules book, and so you get to see Hulk from uh, probably, what, the 60s, I guess. And nice. so that's kind of a, a bonus there, too. The one thing I'll say about the book, uh, again, good art, I enjoyed the read. I'd give it a three. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't get that jazz out of it. I liked it a lot, but I wouldn't necessarily say it, you know, made me want to pick up every other book that they did. That being said, everything looks really good. I think it's a very good story. I think it's a good way to get people into it. I just don't like long-haired Hulk, and I think that mm. is is the business same up Hulk front, gonna, party in the back, dude. Well, hey, <laughs> it, it's the same. It's the same Hulk we're going to see in the movie, and I don't. I, I frankly have not really liked um, the hair down the forehead makes him look like Frankenstein and he looks like this in this 1960s piece he looks like it in the mm. current piece and he looks like that in the movie and there I, I think I like Mohawk Hulk or something like that he just Mohawk. Know, he just looks yeah. <laughs> he just looks like I said he looks like Frankenstein but what, anyway the, I'll give this a three out of five what's the title and the uh, issue number the title of this uh, was Incredible uh, Hercules, 
And I believe it's 116 because everything that they reference is that the next book is 117. So okay, if, cool. my, if, if my numbers are correct. If my calculations uh, are correct. I, I, could go ask, I could go ask my seven-year-old. He could tell me. So. <laughs> I, is there a Hulk expert in the house, Matthew? Yes. Can I help uh, you, sir? How come – I mean, this is just a general Hulk changing to Bruce Banner and, or David Banner, whichever way they're calling him in the, in the comics. Right. Um, uh, Brian says that in this issue, the Hulk befriends the giants, and they show him happy and smiling. In mm-hmm. World War Hulk, he finds people that he can get along with and has a kid with this wife. How come he doesn't turn back? I mean, isn't, isn't this Hulk thing supposed to be all, uh, all anger-based? And yeah, so when great. he's calm, he's yeah. back to normal? I think the, the if I remember my Planet Hulk correctly, he was content and he found friends, but he was still enraged at the uh, the I word, the seven uh, strangers of Marvel lore, and his whole. I can't say that word on you know on a public broadcast or they'll come for me, but. <laughs> In any, I, I think he was angry at you know the schmucks back on Earth to the point where he wanted to come back and he wanted revenge at that point and he thought I see he was as angry as he was ever going to get. So even I think when they said when he calmed down and was happy, he was still enraged at what had happened to him. Um, historically speaking, originally he transformed at night. Then mm-hmm. he transformed only when he became angry. And then for a while, at, during the point in time when he was at the crossroads, he was the Hulk 100% of the time. And the Bruce Banner identity was pretty much subsumed. And then for a while, I think it was just uh, he changed whenever the writer wanted him to. I see. I'm not sure. Yeah, they've, gone, to- they've gone through a lot of stuff. Like um, like you said, changing at night and stuff. Right. Some you know, A writer would come in and say, well, no, the Hulk and Bruce Banner are actually two separate people sharing a body. Right. So... Sometimes the Hulk would just like burst out for no reason, or eventually. Um, then there was, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Then uh, they had that uh, handsome Hulk, uh, which was like the perfect melding of uh, Bruce Banner and the Hulk for a while. And when he lost his school, he would turn into Bruce Banner and start freaking out as like a scrawny little guy. Yeah, I don't know if you guys ever read that. <laughs> I thought that, that was yeah. great I, for a while. The Hulk personality was still there, but he he would turn into Banner's body, which I thought was just oh, yeah. 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 I see you but guys I, have I read more of the Hulk you. than I did. Okay. Here's a question for you, and, and this could probably be a poll question at some other time, but I was thinking about this. Do you think of Hulk, or do you think Hulk qualifies as a superhero? Because mm. I don't think he does. He doesn't, go out, he doesn't go out and do things selflessly to help people or save people from doom or from other people, you know, from other circumstances. He just just stomping around, raging at stuff. So I, I think most of the characters, the hero. Yeah, I was going to say most of the characters at the Marvel universe seem to be the anti-hero, the yeah. people that succeed even though they're not your prototypical hero. I've, I I read something that said that Marvel really kind of established the anti-hero in comic books with the Hulk, um, along with Ghost Rider, Namor, and yeah. there was one other one, Wolverine. Old Yeller. Yes. Um, I don't think it was Wolverine, because Wolverine actually fits. Punisher? Yeah, Punisher. That's okay. the one. Because Wolverine actually surprisingly fits into the superhero mold. He's just a very violent superhero. Yeah. But all the other guys are just sort of not doing super heroics. They're just kind of trying to do their own deal. Right. And stuff keeps happening to them. I see. 
If you look at the Marvel Universe as a whole, though, I mean, a lot of the characters that we would think of as Marvel heroes aren't heroes at all. I mean, mm. Namor kind of, you know, responds when he's attacked, and Doctor Strange kind of has this overarching protect everything. But if you look at the X-Men, honestly, for the last 20 years, they've done nothing but respond to people attacking them. I mean, yeah. right. Right. they don't fight evil, they don't fight crime, they've banded together because otherwise Mr. Sinister would have wiped them out years ago. <laughs> All right, moving on to my review. This week I picked up Superman 675, and I don't know how this ended up in my pull list, because normally I've only been reading action comics. I haven't been reading Superman. Uh, but I open the page, and what's the first thing on the on the splash page, which I really hate DC kind of making that a mandate of making the first page a splash page. But essentially it says, Superman of Earth, we are the priest elders of the protonic flame. We speak for Daxum. And the first thing that crosses into my mind is, what, Legion of Superheroes, Daxum? And uh, we're dropped right into the middle of a story where apparently in the last issue, which I didn't read because, again, I don't read Superman, uh, Paragon, which is some powered being that can siphon off energy from others and use it as his own, apparently he and Superman were fighting in the Arctic when these uh, priest elders of the Protonic Flame show up. And essentially what they're demanding from Superman, there's three of them, what they're demanding from Superman is to turn over Largand, who we know as mon yeah, uh, the the guy trapped in the Phantom Zone for, and again, this is Superman as an adult, so uh, Largan has been trapped in the Phantom Zone since probably 20 years at least, and uh, of course Superman tries to be diplomatic, saying, you know, if you guys ask nicely, we can settle this, and of course the elders are like, we've been soaking up the sun, we can, you know, overpower you, and for the next several pages, it's just an all-in-all-out fight between the priests of Elder, the these elders of Daxum, of the Flame, and Paragon trying to help out Superman, surprisingly, even though he's a villain. And uh, Superman trying to say, look, look, you guys, you need to be careful because you're in grave danger being on Earth. And for those of you who haven't read the uh, Major Spoilers Hero History on uh, Monel, the thing with the Daxums, or Daxamites, I guess, if you want to call them that, if you want to be correct, uh, is they are deathly allergic to lead. Mm -hmm. and, in, and if you go back and read uh, the great Superboy story, where Superboy wishes that he had a, a brother that could do all the same things that he has, and then Largan crashes, Monel crashes, believing that he's Superman's long-lost brother. Uh, Superman exposes him, what he thinks the kryptonite, but it turns out that it's the lead casing that he's actually deathly allergic to, and so to save him, he puts him in the Phantom Zone, and that's where he's been ever since. And so, you know, the Superman's trying to explain to these elders, this is what's going on, you guys need to get out of here, you're allergic to lead. And so what does Paragon do? He runs off, and he gets a gun, and he pumps a couple of them <laughs> full of lead. <laughs> and there's just this great line where he's like, hey, you know, uh, uh, you know, you said lead would stop them, so I just did that. And apparently, uh, all the bullets went right through these guys, except for one which is lodged in one of the priests. And so Superman then rushes off to the Fortress of Solitude. There's another villain uh, that pops up, a big being that has to pop up, and Paragon kind of has to save the day. But essentially, Superman goes back to the Fortress of Solitude to whip up a cure for the lead poisoning for these Daxamites. Uh, because it's they haven't been exposed that much, and there's probably a chance that they should live. And what's amazing is, as Superman is whipping up this cure... Who do you think he's talking to but none other than Largan, Monel trapped in the Phantom Zone? And I'm thinking, what in the heck? Is this something that occurred regularly, Matthew? When does Superman just turn on the Phantom Zone projector and start talking to Monel trapped in the Phantom Zone? In my memory, never. Um, the, the thing about the pre-crisis Monel story was that 
it, technically, yeah, he spent a thousand years in the zone, but it was like June of 1961 when he put him in there, and then it was maybe five months later when he came out as a legionnaire. Right. And from the point that he left the zone in Legion, Superboy, Superman, excuse me, Tom Welling or Clark Christopher Reeve never thought <laughs> about it again because technically they'd already done it, even if it was only a thousand years in the future. So I've so, never, I've never heard of a precedent for talking to Monel in the zone per se. Yeah. So this is this is really this is really weird. But essentially, what Monel is is recounting to uh, to Superman is that. At one point, they Daxon kind of turned their backs on technology, and they believed in uh, spiritual healing to cure them of their woes. So even though Superman whips up a cure that might work for this guy, uh, the Daxons are not going to have any any part of it. They would rather have their person die and start an interstellar incident than uh, than believe that this serum that Superman's whipped up has saved him. And so they launch a doomsday weapon, and like I said, Paragon has to kind of save the day. But Superman kind of ends the issue um, kind of saying that, you know, I know that these guys don't want this cure. They'd rather die than learn. They'd rather doom their planet than than uh, distribute the power that gives them their position. And so he's really talking about religion and, and the place that it holds in politics. But essentially, because the Daxamites turned their back on technology, they lost the ability to find this cure on their own. So what Superman does is he goes and he creates a vast repository of knowledge that even in the event of a total worldwide disaster, that people could still rebuild. And he starts collecting things like great works of art that are stored in this uh, system, uh, how to build a, a, a simple house or how to do simple joints. And, and he puts these uh, little geo things all over the world so that people could access this knowledge in the future that they have it, which is kind of scary because, and again, I don't know everything about Superman and I don't claim to, but if you remember the uh, Superman animated series, Brainiac, that's yeah, what he that's, was doing. He was gathering all that, the knowledge. That's exactly what I was talking about. It's like, it's Superman building Brainiac. Yeah. And then, so it's really weird that here's this, he's kind of doing the same thing that Brainiac was doing, but instead of after he gathers all the knowledge, he destroys the planet, he lets the planet live. So, uh, Superman 675 by Kurt Busiek. Um, I'm going to give a, probably like everyone else did in today's show, a three out of five stars. It's a good, interesting story. It has the appearance of a Legion of Superheroes member, even if it's only for a few pages. It's got this Paragon guy, which I know nothing about, uh, and then it's got this great uh, story about religion and politics. So, did you, did you like uh, Paragon's design? It's uh, really weird. He's got mm. this uh, black tunic with a yellow stripe that runs down the center, and he's got this thing that pulls up over his eyes, and his eyes are kind of covered, but he's able to draw power from beings. He's some kind of science. I really don't know anything about him. I just, mm. like I said, picked up the issue, and I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. It's an entertaining story. Uh, you know, I'm not really interested to see what happens next. Yeah. Hey, is that my is that my Astro City, Kurt Busiek? That would be your Astro City, Kurt Busiek. Oh, then it must be gold, baby. It, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's a good story. I mean, I'll, I'll give it that, but there's just some holes like... I didn't know that there's a history of, and you know, these two are Monel and Superman are, are chit chatting back and forth, just like, oh, we do this every day. You know, we have a well, chit chat it, every it's day. A, it's a Skype connection, exactly. Yeah. And see, here's the thing, Brian. This is uh, Kurt Busiek writing Superman, not Samaritan, so oh. it's not as good. Oh, that's true. Actually, I'm in the Phantom Zone right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and, and, you know, even Superman goes so far as to say, you know, this cure is probably going to work for this priest because he's only been exposed a little bit. Uh, Largan, you were exposed too much, and so therefore I I can't use this on you, which, again, allows that story a thousand years in the future where Brainiac whips up a cure or – I guess it, at some point they'd bring him out for a little bit and have a temporary solution, and then they'd have to send him back into the Phantom Zone. And My thing is, if I'm Monel and I'm in the Phantom Zone watching my adoptive little brother try and make this formula, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, why are you doing this for them? You know, What about me? What, why haven't you helped me? I'd be a little upset if I were Mon, so I'm glad that they threw in a little bit about, oh yeah, this won't work for you and stuff. Yeah, so Superman, 675, three out of five stars. Now, we had a couple of big hits this week. Uh, the first thing was a spinoff from last week's uh, episode where we talked, each of us gave our top ten list of must-read trade paperbacks. And because Brian wasn't with us, we did put his, uh, his uh, list up on the website as well. So over at the Major Spoilers Forum, we want you, the listener, to kind of help us rank these from best to worst. Uh, so we've got 30 or so titles, uh, removing the duplicates that we each had on our list. Uh, we've got about 30 titles that you can vote on the one that you think is the best. And based on the number of votes, we're going to uh, rank those from number one all the way to number 30. So that's one poll that we have going on the site. Last Last week, I, uh, Brian asked, or I get no, it was uh, Matthew that asked, "Who's your favorite Green Lantern?" And we had a tremendous response from that. Seven hundred people, well, six ninety nine. Seven hundred people responding to the I poll. I forgot to vote. Way to go, Rodrigo! <laughs> but I just kind of wanted to run down of who is the favorite uh, Green Lantern of all time, and it turns out to be Hal Jordan with thirty one percent of the votes. <laughs> I demand a recount. This was a fix. Kyle Rayner came in at number two. Are you Definitely kidding? Back. Yeah, he had uh, 19% of the vote. John Stewart at number three with 15% of the vote. Alan Scott, followed by Kilowog, Guy Garner, Tomar Ray, and Gnort, who got 2% of the vote. Hey, hey, Alan Scott only came in fourth because you didn't ask what was the best ever Green Lantern costume. That's, there you go. That's oh, definitely okay. well, true. There you go. Oh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Well, so that's you know, kind of that. A lot of people didn't like. I know that a lot of people hated Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner, I think, is one of those characters that either you love him or you absolutely hate him. Uh, except for me, I'm just kind of lukewarm. But he about shouldn't him. come in in sixth place. Yeah, I guess. So. Well, you got a lot of Guy Gardner haters on the side. I guess. Hey, you know what? Well, if you, if you, I, frankly, if you do a movie. Justice League movie, I think the Guy Gardner character is a better character to put in that because then you can that, have conflict with the other goody-goodies. That's actually a good point. I, I had never thought of that. That's actually a great point, Brian. So that poll is closed, but a new question of the week is up, and Brian, why don't you run it down for us? Okay. This one is one that I like a lot because I think it, it says a lot about what kind of comics you like or what kind of person you are. And what the question is, as a basic superhero premise... Which do you prefer? A, that the person is born with powers, which is our mutants over in Marvel, and uh, what, the metahumans, I think, in DC? Yeah. Okay. B, you acquired powers in an accident or an experiment, in this C, Spider-Man. C, do you like magical powers, like Doctor Strange or Doctor Fate? Or D, do you like aliens, Superman, Martian Manhunter, who come to our planet and thus have superpowers just because of the fact they're from someplace else. What, as a basic superhero premise, do you prefer? Matthew. I'm leaning towards B, acquired powers in an accident experiment, because I feel like 
there's two perspectives on it. As a reader, it gives you that moment where you can go, okay, we've got the origin out of the way. That's why they have these powers. Sometimes if you say they're born with their powers, it, it kind of feels like, why? Why would you have magnetic eyeballs? Why? That's not even safe around the toaster. Um, and, you know, sometimes the magical power component is a little too convenient of, why does he have it? Ma magic. Don't worry about it. And then, of course, you get to the aliens. With the existence of a superpowered alien, there's always that moment where you say, isn't there a whole planet of these people out there somewhere? Mm -hmm. Or a bottled, or a bottled city. Bottles, or a dog and a monkey and a, <laughs> and a cat and a horse. Joel <laughs> sent a horse into space to test whether it was safe for his son, see? All right. And it's, it was so he could have a pony. But when Nerd! You <laughs> That's Mr. Nerd. At least I didn't talk about Beppo the super monkey. Yeah, not yet. All right, Rodrigo. Um, I'm gonna go with a B because I don't. Don't get me wrong. I love me my X Men, but uh, I think as its own thing, like if you say in this universe, random people are born with superpowers and that's cool. But when you bring it into the bigger universes of like, you know, when you have Spider Man or where you have Captain America who gets his super agility from an experiment and stuff like that, you're know, like. Well, then what's the point of all the other guys? Um, I'm not a big fan of magic unless magic gives you one particular power. I like Captain Marvel. That's kind of cool. Um, and I don't like aliens precisely because of what Matthew brought up is, well, so you're saying that right over there, there's an entire planet of shape-shifting, psychic, uh, eye-beam shooting, um, <laughs> super strong, In flying, intangible... Uh, creatures. You're talking about scrolls, right? No, I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but well, unless you read Amalgam, then yes, yes, uh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I guess for me, I, I, I go with, and I again, I think Brian hit it on the head with this question: is it kind of tells you a little bit about you? I'm also going with B acquired their powers in an accident for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think, and this is really well played out in the X books, where people that are born in our life and in, in where we are, people that are born with a deformity. In this mm -hmm. case, it could be a, a superpower. But people that are born with deformities are generally looked down upon. Uh, and uh, everyone here was born pretty normal. Matthew, I'm still trying to <laughs> uh, figure out. But, you know, most of us were born normal. So we wouldn't think of having this mutant, and when we use the word mutant power, uh, that might kind of turn us off. Magical powers, again, it's too easy to just kind of snap your finger. And unless I can snap my finger and make the pretty ladies take their clothes off, I have no use for magic powers. Yeah. Aliens, like Superman and Martian Manhunter, Superman, he's the last person from Krypton, regardless of what monkey, horse, or, or cat that is flying down as well. Or girl. Or girl. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't count. <laughs> she, he said person. So. <laughs> so. Oh, well, we just, the, I, we just, the three girls that listen to this podcast just turned us well, off. Well, no, I said I'm person. But, sorry. I mean, here we have this person that is either Martian Manhunter, who's the last of his race because everybody died, unless you count the white Martians, which we're not in this example. But these are the sole survivors of their planet. So, therefore, they come to the planet with these godlike powers, which make them unique. And in all these cases, mutant, magic, and godlike powers, we have no basis of reference for that. It makes it mm -hmm. very hard for the average reader to, I don't know, identify with. Yet, 
here's nerdy Peter Parker who gets bit by the spider and all of a sudden has these powers, or scrawny Steve Rogers who gets injected with the super serum and becomes this great, powerful person. This is something that the average person, I think, could wrap their head around. And yeah. I think all of us and, being average and falls into that category. And it's something where you say, you know, that could be me. One day yeah. I could be, I could get a radioactive isotope in my eye and get uh, radar powers. Right. I don't know why you'd want that one specifically. Um, and I, I do think that magic was, you know, is uh, science's grandpa. I do think that, you know, older comic books got their stuff through magic. Right. Because science wasn't at the point where you could accidentally get irradiated in any way. Yeah. Brian? Yeah, no, I think you guys have uh, said it exactly right, and Stephen hit it right on the head, and I think that is B, because you can identify with the person. This is a normal person who, either through an accident or an experiment, becomes superpowered. So you can, you can see yourself. There's that possibility that you could be that person. I think not taking into account the magical part of it, it's the kind of the same story as to why Captain Marvel was more popular than Superman back in, what, the 40s or 50s, because kids could identify with this mm-hmm. young kid becoming a superhero through, you know, this. They, they could identify with him. So w- when I was younger, uh, when I get, first picked up X-Men, I was just blown away by, by the idea of people being born with powers. But as I've gotten older, I think it's more identifiable to go with the normal person who suddenly acquires powers. The one magical power person that I do like is Juggernaut. I think that's kind of a cool idea. He's kind of limited to one thing, essentially. But I would go with B. And and one thing with the aliens, I think, and they may be playing this up more in Superman, but um, when you think about it, I mean, that takes the luster for me off of Superman when you do suddenly, I mean, it just becomes very clear, you know what, he is an alien. He is not like us. And And although they've done a big job of making him seem just like a normal Kansas boy who has all these powers, he's not. He's not human. And so, to me, that that takes a little bit of the luster off, and I think it does add a dimension to him that you did see play out in other uh, kind of elseworld stories about Mm -hmm. him where it is a focus and, and, you know, people hate him because of that or he acts differently because of that. So, but I think certainly acquires powers in an accident. I put the uh, poll up early uh, this week so people could vote on it before the show. And I'm surprised we had close to 700 people vote last week. Already, the, the poll's only been up for a couple hours. 120 people have responded. And right now, acquired your powers through an accident or experiment is leading the pack. Uh, the last one is the Alien Powers is, is the last one on the list. So there's still time to vote. Head over to Majorspoilers.com. Take the Major Spoilers poll. If you want to discuss it over at the Major Spoilers forum, you're certainly welcome to do that. Casual sex, eating disorders, bizarre hazing rituals, all horrible slanderous stereotypes associated with sorority sisters. And you know what? It's sadly all true. Modern sorority life deserves a serious, sensitive, and mature uh, depiction. Thankfully, that's not what Hazed is about. It's from Mark Sable and creator of the critically acclaimed Grounded with art by Robbie Rodriguez. Uh, Hazed is a dark comedy about three young girls' perilous journey through the world of sororities and eating disorders. Hazed is to comics what Heathers and Mean Girls are to film. This is from Image Comics. This is a standalone graphic novel, original graphic novel. It's a fourteen ninety nine, and it's in the Digest 
latest format, and that is our trade, essentially trade paperback that we are reviewing this week. And uh, I guess since I'm uh, jibber-jabbering, I will start off by saying, as someone who works at a university, uh, this is a lot closer to reality than what we see PC topics like this being discussed are. Uh, It's really kind of scary where... This really goes into body images, it really goes into popularity, it goes into um, depictions of what sorority girls are perceived as, and in some cases are true, and I think it has a a pretty good story. I'll I'll go into it in a little bit more detail as we go through, but my overall impression was at first I was not too keen on the story because, you know, they're really taking a humorous approach to the story, Mm -hmm. even though everything that they're talking about actually does happen right um but i came away from the story going you know what i'm glad i read this uh granted it's it's taken from the girl's point of view but i thought it was a really good story rodrigo um you know i I think that the the seed of of a good story is there i honestly don't like how it was handled um uh, first off let me say that the art is really cool and the art kind of lends that sort of like morbid hilarity to it right. which i think is exactly what they're going for so the art is great in that respect um but you get um these girls who are going through this and just to take us on a quick tangent there's a lot of uh fiction out that says you know in order to beat the monster you have to become the monster right um there's these you know this horrible sorority so in order to take the sorority down this girl joins it um but at the end it seems to me that they are horrible people, even, and they have done all these horrible t- things, and there isn't a redeeming moment. Well, I never said there was any redeeming factor. I just said it was a it was but, a good look of what actually happened. But at the end of the book, there you're you know the way that they're displayed, you're supposed to see them as uh you know as characters like the, the characters are supposed to be redeemed, but they're not. I feel that there's this piece missing from the story where I turn and say, well, yeah, I do sympathize with these characters, and I'm like, well. Why aren't they all dead at this point, right. as far as I'm concerned? Brian? Well, yeah, I kind of come down to it like Rodrigo did. What it struck me as, um, first of all, uh, let, let me do the old man. When, when, when I was a boy, they drew comic pictures so that you could tell people apart. I couldn't tell which girl that, was which. Well, that is and that's, an issue. And you know what? That's an issue, but it's also part of what the story's about, where... You identify this girl with the glow, or we old people would call it the it girl, right? (laughs) She's the girl that has it, and everybody wants to be just like her. So in the case of, uh, what's her name, Abella, or um, uh, what's her name? Ileana? Ileana, that's right, Il. She goes through this transformation, and we'll talk about that here in a moment, but she goes through this transformation and suddenly becomes the it girl, and everybody wants to be like her, so everybody in the sorority dyes their hair black. They start doing the exact same th- thing she does. When she has a suicide attempt, all these other girls think, oh, well, that's the cool thing now. Let's slash our wrists and get get into the hospital. You know, you kind of see what's going on with Hollywood right now, and it's like, who's not wearing panties this week? Oh, it's it's uh, Britney Spears. Now it's Lindsay Lohan. Now it's so-and-so. Now it's so-and-so. You know, everybody's trying to get into this hype machine, and I think that's what kind of plays up there. But yes, there were times, and I agree, that it was very hard to tell three of the main characters apart. James, uh, Ill and then the uh, what's the head sorority girl's name? Uh, evil head sorority girl. Evil yeah. head sorority girl. Okay, well, and, it was and, it was but, difficult to tell it apart, and I think part of the reason for that is that this is a black and white book. I think they yeah. did some great shading in here, mm-hmm. but had this been in color, 
I think this would have been a stellar knockout book. Yeah. Well, and and two, yeah, they they do. You can tell them apart because one has black hair, one has blonde hair, and one has uh, what essentially would be, I think, red hair. Red hair. Yeah. yeah. They do. They do a good thing on the back where they say, you know, this is a tale of three girls, and I kept telling myself that this has got to be one of those three girls. And that's how I was able to get through it, even though sometimes I was kind of confused as to which girl it was that we were seeing. Um, to Rodrigo's point, and, and this sounds silly to be referencing the Devil Wears Prada movie, but my wife and oh, I Oh, no, I that. watched it just the other uh, couple <laughs> weeks ago. I loved it. Yeah. But in that movie, and it's the same thing here, instead of the character kind of fighting the system, she becomes exactly what she said she was fighting, and in the end, there's no realization on her part that, oh, that was wrong, I shouldn't have done that. And, the, you know, it's kind of like, well, wait a minute, didn't she basically succumb to peer pressure and, okay, then that's it? Um, th- so I kind of had that same feeling. But, you know, it was one of those things where it was a good read, I enjoyed it. It has that kind of strange element to it. But, uh, yeah, besides the... The fact that I couldn't, you know, at the beginning I couldn't tell sometimes who was who. Uh, once it gets into it, there's a, a pretty good, you know, care, there's a pretty good ride for the popular girl who goes through a number of different things, and mm-hmm. the not popular girl who suddenly becomes popular. So it was it was an interesting story, and I enjoyed it. Matthew, the one thing, <clears throat> excuse me, the one thing that keeps coming back to me, and you had referenced. Uh, Heather's at one point. Right. Or at least that's what the cover references. Right. And, but it is uh, kind of like that. Heather's is a, is a really wonderful movie to me. And Heather's kind of uh, really, to me, illustrates where I feel this story went wrong. The thing with Heather's that you go through that story and you see the main character going through her stuff, it's never taken entirely seriously. We don't look at her issues and say, yes, this girl really has a problem. As I go through the first chapter of this book, I, you know, I'm looking at these two girls and maybe it's just my father, you know, instincts kicking in. I'm going, both of these girls are seriously messed up. They right. both they both have deep psychological issues and they're played straight i mean one of them is is on prozac the other one obviously she uses sex as an icebreaker she's obviously got self-esteem issues that you could park a truck on and i'm sitting here (laughs) feeling sorry for these two girls and thinking you know where is this story going how are we going to take these characters and put them through something and it gets to the point where all of a sudden We've set up these characters with very, you know, realistic and real problems, and then the black humor kicks in. And don't get me wrong, I love black humor. I, I think that, you know, there's something to be said for the moment where people just sort of, you know, burst into flame for no reason at all. But right. <laughs> when you go through this, as you watch the one girl become thin and popular, and the thin and popular girl become not thin and popular. Yeah, she puts on a freshman... 50 in this case. Yeah. I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, we've taken these characters who felt, you know, really real and really messed up, and now we're looking at them as cartoons. And that to me was just a, a fundamental disconnect where the first part of the story was a good setup for one story. The middle right. part of the story was a good middle part of a completely different story than we <laughs> set up. 
Yeah. And the end was kind of an interesting but flawed ending for a story that wasn't either of the first two stories. That, that's so, a good point. I, yeah, think, let, I think you nailed it right let me, there. Let me run through this. So there's these three main girls, the head of the sorority, uh, James, who's the thin, Val is her name, right. the uh, thin, James, who's a super hot blonde girl that right. everybody wants, the it girl, and then right. there's Ill, who's this dumpy girl who just has a lot of uh, you know body issue uh, problems and and very liberal minded and and really wants to take down the system mm-hmm. and the way it works out is James pisses Val off steals her boyfriend one night and so when it comes to rush time they say hey let's get ill in here and make her part of the of the system so that you know she's threatening to bring down the whole Greek system and there's a reference made that the reason why the whole Greek system at this southern university is in trouble because there was a hazing incident that occurred where somebody died and so they don't want to get in trouble so they bring ill in and they say oh well if you come in you can you can tear it down from the inside just like rodrigo and brian were mentioning a moment ago on the other hand they totally want to destroy james to the point where they're like no other sorority all the sorority sisters get together and all the sororities get together and say nobody allow her to pledge they call all the fraternities and say if anybody touches her or has sex with her uh you won't be getting any from any of us uh, to the point where they even kind of threaten all the other the males on the school to the point where she is an outcast she's got the big scarlet a on her chest and her only source of of um I guess solace is to start eating ice cream. And so she does put on that 50 pounds. And so there's this huge role reversal in the first section of the book where ill comes in and they're like, Oh, well, you know, if you did some liposuction, if you did some plastic surgery, uh, you would look so great. And that, and what better way to, uh, get away from this idea of purging or, or making yourself throw up to be beautiful. And at the same time, James is going through this other thing where she can't get guys to the point where she essentially rapes a guy during one of these big events and at the same time, I don't know, there's a couple of jumps in the story where I really felt that there were pages timing, missing. Timing yep. was an issue. Where exactly. all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Val, Car- yeah, all of a sudden, Val, the head of the sorority, says, okay, I'm going to start putting on some weight now, now that Ill is this yep. super thin girl. And then all of a sudden, we turn the page, and Ill's in the hospital because she committed suicide. Where the heck did this get set up? Yeah. yeah. Val's motivation is very, very murky throughout. Yeah, did it it ever explain why she's trying to bulk up? No, No. it never was done. And and the same way with with Ill on her suicide attempt. Nothing is ever mentioned about why she decided to kill herself or what drove her to that. Because all through this, she is the it girl. So if she's the it girl, why would she suddenly take a a knife to her wrist? And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, James discovers what they're doing to Ill. And I guess trying to hurt her or or, or um, kill her or whatever Val is. Yeah. And so the two team up, and then it becomes this revenge plot of how can we get back at all the sorority sisters? So they go and buy safety pins, and they poke holes in all the condoms so that they all get, get neck, knocked up. They oh, switch gosh. the ice cream so that the, the girls that are thin thinking that they're eating no fat are actually eating fat. And Val is eating no fat, you know, non-fat yogurt. And what's the other thing that they do? Oh, they put uh, hairspray in so that all their hair falls Nair in out. the hairspray, yeah. I mean, it, it's that typical stuff. And then it all builds up to the point where this big reveal of Val actually is behind her boyfriend getting killed. Mm-hmm. And there's this, I don't know, there's this whole kind of idea of even if you kill us, and there's this whole big ritual where they're going to kill uh, Ill and, and James, if you kill us, there's still going to be more It girls. You just have to, to right. live with this. And it's, I don't know, the ending was a little a little hokey. Here's um, something that bothers me. and I, I don't say, know. There just seemed to be this big jump in, in the yeah, story mm-hmm. where I was like flipping going, okay, did a page stick together? Is there something missing here? It, these yes. big jumps did, in the story did just didn't make Did pages any, stick together? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I was just lost on that. And so that was the big drawback to this to this story where these 
how did this incident happen? I needed some more backstory. Exactly. The, the thing that threw me, and I say this, and I, I will tell you, I say this biased. When I was in college, there was a time when I topped 400 pounds. I'm still 325, 350-ish, depending on my mood. I'm looking at the story <laughs> that's supposed to be... Don't make him angry. That's right. <laughs> you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. Now, the, uh, the, the whole story, there seems to be this underlying theme about body image and how, right. bad, you know, how bad it is for you to have this unrealistic body image or want to be too thin. And I, I can kind of get behind that. But then you get to the point where James puts on weight, and the art and the story treats James as this hideous creature because she's up to, you know, maybe 180 pounds. And I'm like, well, is this story about body image or isn't it because we've set it up where you know Ileana is a crusader who says you know you shouldn't you shouldn't worry about right, exactly like how big your how big your genes are you shouldn't worry about anything other than being healthy and then we get to the point where they completely throw that away where all of a sudden you know James is this creature who has to beat a man over the head with a bat in order to have her self relations and well actually she drugs him at a party but well, um, same thing yeah <laughs> The, they they kind of undermine their own point. They go for the humorous. Mm-hmm. They take the humorous shots at a point where it really undermines the story. And they gave us too much story, too much depth, too much character for me to take the black humor and just say, you know what, they got what they deserved. Yeah, and I think they were. I think that that uh, Mark Sable is really hitting. I mean, he wrote. He's the he's the creator behind Grounded, and I think he really did a good job. But it's like. Rodrigo said, "There's 18 pages missing in this story. It's yeah. disjointed." Yeah. Uh, yeah. Art-wise, I love the art, especially as uh, Val starts to put on weight and become this evil creature. You can actually see her fingers become a lot more pointed mm-hmm. and razor-like uh, yeah. in the story. I, I really like some of those kinds of things. Uh, you know, I like the depictions of the body image changing, and it is so drastic in the story where you know. James starts off rail thin, and then you see her, as Matthew said, this, this I don't know, she's not super fat. Uh, but, I mean, she is, she is big. Uh, but I just, I thought the art was good. I just wish it were in black and white. Mm. Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think it lends itself to the story, because it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't intended to be a serious look at this stuff. Like you said, it, it kind of presented itself at the beginning, to be that, but then everybody kind of throws away all their convictions and ends up doing the opposite of what they're supposed to be. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, the art was appropriate for the book, and, and I think it, it went along with it. So, Final thoughts. Rodrigo. Um, I think Matthew hit it on the head. It is kind of two or three separate things. It should either be tonight on a very special blossom or sorority girls trying to kill each other, and it just kind of melds it uh, inappropriately. I'm going to give it two stars. Okay. I I liked it. I uh, With a couple of issues with the story and some of the pacing stuff, I'm going to give it three and a half. Oh, well, let me give it three stars for the... Uh, uh, three stars for the story, four stars for the art, which I really like, which gives it a three and a half star rating. Mm. So I'm giving it three and a half. Matthew, love the art. The art kind of falls somewhere between the Kim Possible cartoon, yes, yeah. and and uh, kind of Peter Chung's work on the Eon Flux, which I just love. Very animation influenced. I would say that the way I break it down is the first third of the story I give two stars <laughs> for being a little too too earnesty. 
two Christy McNichol movie of the week. The second part, that middle part with all the meanness and the reversals, I give a full four stars because that's awesome and that's cruel. And the ending kind of brings me down to about a 2.5. So overall, I'd say we're in the neighborhood of a good solid three-star effort. If, if those 18 pages turn up, I think this could be a four-and-a-half, five-star book. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you right there. Brian? Well, I think I'd end up right in the middle. I I enjoyed it. I didn't hate anything about it, but it's not, you know, something that I probably would have picked up unless we were going to look at it. So probably about three. Um, you know, there wasn't, I mean, there was obviously those holes in it. Uh, and if you read it, if you pick it up, and, and you should pick it up because it's another good example of what you can do in this medium that doesn't have to be superheroes. Um, so, you know, you're going to, you're going to probably see these same flaws in it, but it was enjoyable. It wasn't Shadow Hunter or whatever that piece of dreg was called. So it's, yeah. it's pretty hard to be Shadow Hunter. We're finding out that that was immaculate evil right there. I know. And, and, and it's my whole scale is getting shifted because that's weighing it down down there. And anything that's not even, you know, anything is got to be better than that. Yeah. It's well, hazed from Captain image Marvel comics. Bad. It's hazed from Image Comics. It looks like it uh, rounded out to about a three-star rating from everybody. Uh, You can check it out. Again, it's from Image Comics. It's got a cover price of 15 bucks. I know you can find it online for a lot cheaper. Don't forget, everybody, head over to Nerdtacular.com to find out more about the big Nerdtacular event taking place in Utah this summer. And please tell your friends and tell everybody to listen to the show. It's going to help us help the hero drive. Uh, We really appreciate you leaving us ratings over at iTunes and Podcast Alley. And if you have any questions or comments or topics, Topic ideas for future shows, drop us an email at podcast at majorspoilers.com because you know what? We know you love comics and we do too, and we'll see you next time. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the man of steel.